0: hello and welcome to law the universe and everything i'm your host pacifico soldati this show explores topics from law and business to consciousness spirituality and everything in between we feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life you can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com if you're not familiar with my background i'm a helper parent marketer attorney outlaw certified mediator story brand guide omnist yoga teacher and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and US Army Special Operations Command. Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, the Universe and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperitas, an animated video agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of visual storytelling. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit ProsperitasAgency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-A-S Agency.com to find out how Prosperitas can create the best videos your company has ever had. My guest today is Juliette Nelson. Juliette is a thought leader, entrepreneur, and published author who is passionate about empowering people to achieve the highest standards of their purpose. She's the founder and CEO of Genuri, a company that equips students, professionals, and business owners with the tools and resources to be successful in the different areas of their lives. In November of 2019, Juliet authored and published Sharing My Lens, The College Experience, in which she shares some of the gems that prove to be valuable in achieving an engaging academic experience throughout college. Juliet is also the CEO of NuriLens a wooden eyewear collection with blue light blocking solutions in each pair that celebrates individuality, self-expression, and impact, all in a pair of frames. Given her experience, she's intentional about being an agent of motivation, inspiration, and encouragement to the world around her. Thank you so much for joining me today, Juliette, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Pacifico. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, my pleasure. So take me back What first led you to become an entrepreneur?
1: It was not my idea. I'll say I've never cared for the idea of becoming an entrepreneur. I, in one of my previous jobs, I worked with small business owners in forming and establishing and maintaining their company. So for me, running a business by myself and knowing my work ethic and how much I work just normally, I knew that it it would probably be stressful, so it was not something I really cared to do. But it was just a friend of mine that we were brainstorming. He's actually my business partner for another project that I work on, but we were brainstorming on ways we could really make an impact and things that we could do. And he recommended building a website for me. And I, I was reluctant to the idea. And I so happened to also speak with the family of one of my students. And that's where they were also speaking about, Juliet, you're so good at this. You're so good at that. Why don't you just form your own business and and keep that up under your umbrella and offer other talents and services to help people. So that's where that started. And it so happened that was during a spiritual fast where I was just trying to get a little bit more direction into what I wanted to do with my life. So yeah, that's kind of where it started in 2018, the beginning of 2018.
0: Oh, wow. Still just getting rolling. Very cool. So talk to me about Januri and some of your work there.
1: So Junuri is a, a professional and academic development company. So we work with students in their academic development and coaching, whether it's tutoring, where we really craft a special, an individualized learning experience based on their their learning opportunities, as well as some of the interests that they express. We also, I work with students from the elementary to the the doctoral level with coaching them through whether it's research, academic writing, presentations, public speaking, and honing in on different skills that would help them to be a little more successful. I, again, I do coaching, so helping them, navigate life through high school, life through college, and so on and so forth. And then on the professional development side, it's a lot of job preparation, resume building, and and so on and so forth. So.
0: Oh, very cool. And so what actually drove you to work in that field versus any other
1: I think what probably it's what probably planted the seed was working in South Korea as an English teacher. When I graduated, so I'd started going to taking college classes since I was in high school. And so when I graduated college at that time, I told my parents, I, I want to be a lawyer, I want to go to law school, but I needed a break desperately from learning in school because it I was I found that I was just working and working and working. And life took me um, halfway across the world to South Korea. And I think that's where I was really exposed to my great ability to transform someone's learning experience in a way that it fits them. I found that I had a talent for creating a, a, a safe and a healthy and conducive learning environment for people with different learning styles. So from there, when I came back to the country, to the United States, a couple of years after I'd moved to the DM and looking for some extra cash, I ended up tutoring and that's where my students, especially with their, their parents, they were finding that it, it the experience I was giving their kids was not something that you would get with your typical tutor who just comes in and they're here to help you with your homework for the most part. And also build the skills from there. For me, I was really conducting an assessment, a holistic assessment on, for example, if a, a parent came to me with their, I don't know, let's say second grader and they're second grader, and they said, my child is having trouble solving math problems. And based on my assessment, I'm finding that it's not that the math problems are an issue, but the kid doesn't know, doesn't have, has trouble with reading comprehension, or they just have trouble picking up certain sight words. And if they can't read them, they can't understand them. And that's kind of what planted the seed. And I've grown to really just be a lover of learning. I believe that life is a learning experience and whether you're doing it in college or you're doing it on YouTube, You should always maintain a desire to learn, to evolve, and to grow. So that's kind of what put me in that that environment. Additionally, my father is a teacher. I don't know if that helps, but I do have a couple of educators in my family.
0: So it sounds like that keeps you really busy, and yet you then decide to start an eyewear company as well?
1: Yeah. So I love glasses, and that also, a lot of this is rooted in South Korea. Actually, the name Nuri in Junuri and Nuri lens, it means to share. And that name was given to me in South Korea. I was given a Korean name, Nanuri, which means to share. And I was given the commission to share my gift wherever I go. And that was just for some context. But I love eyeglasses. And I, when I first started Junuri, I talked to God one day and I was like, yeah, the next pair of glasses I buy has to be one that I design. And I have them in shape, different shapes, different sizes, different colors. I had about like, at, prior to starting the eyewear collection, I had about like 15 to 20 pairs. And I was getting them for cheap and putting my prescription in them. So I think I was buying a a Christmas gift for someone who was a gamer and I got exposed to the world of blue light blocking lenses that really help guard your eyes from sitting in front of the computer for extended hours in a day. And that planted the seed to me getting, putting some sketches in a notebook, then actually getting a sketchbook and birthing what we now know as Nuri lens. So.
0: Oh, very nice. It's quite the quite the balancing act you have for yourself there. So, tell me a little bit about your experience becoming a published author, and what drove you to share your experience of your college years.
1: So, I I'm blessed that there's always someone who's planted a seed. Actually, someone who who had their own independent publishing company had come to me, approached me about writing a memoir about my life. And as I was working toward that process, I had some kind of epiphany where it was like, that's not the person who needs to show you, share your story, but you gotta share your story. And I struggled with how to really share my life's journey, my life's learning journey in a way that would be impactful. And so I remember speaking to one of my mentees And we were just reminiscing on a lot of the things that we learned in high school, but didn't really prepare us as much for college. And that's when the light bulb went off in my head. The nice thing is I'm currently a a doctoral candidate. So going through my coursework as a PhD student in industrial and organizational psychology, I was able to look at the, the academic experience through a different lens, more of a psychological lens and asking a lot of the why questions. And that helped, you know, bring this book together. But yeah, it was, I believe I I took maybe three to four weeks. And it's not something I recommend to anybody try at home in such a short time. But I took three to four weeks of writing the book and compiling it and reviewing and editing it. And this was going to be, this was really going to be the launch of my publishing company. So I had to run it through my own system. And yeah, so... From there, I it it just became a gift to myself for my birthday, and more of almost like a, a a book to my younger self, the things that I wish I knew and the gems that I wish I shared with my younger self. So, yeah,
0: four weeks? Are you serious?
1: Yeah, I, I can't take <laughs> it. Up. I was pulling. I remember exactly on my birthday, people. My friends were texting me like, Oh, really? That's how you're going to do me. You're not going to pick up my happy birthday call. I had a whole song and dance ready for you. And you're not even going to pick up my call. But it was really because I was pulling all-nighters, trying to edit the book, work through the book, make changes and to force yourself to be creative on cue in such a short period of time. I wouldn't recommend it, but it happened. I became a published author, so.
0: That is so wild. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm working on a book that I'm planning for like publishing in December and I'm still just, okay, I've got 180 days left. So if I get two pages in per day and do this and that, and then, (laughs) but geez, wow, that is crazy. Four weeks. There's a method to our
1: madness, but it can be done, but there's a lot of, you need a lot of grit and you really, I think the part of it, it's almost, it's almost like writing a dissertation or a thesis. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going through the dissertation process now, and I can guarantee you, once I'm done with that dissertation, I probably don't want to look at another paper.
0: Oh yeah. Never never write again. (laughs) So,
1: so in the same sense, when it's, I found that writing a book and I'm, I also do book coaching. So I always tell my clients, clients, they get excited. Oh my goodness. I want to have my book published as soon as possible. And I always tell them that You can't put a timestamp on the creative process. That's how you take away from the quality of your book and of your purpose and of your message. So -hmm. you have to be okay with saying, okay, I might have to put, you know, add a couple of extra weeks or a couple of extra months because to be creative on cue again, it is draining. And once you're done, you're like, I do not want to look, I don't even want to send a text message.
0: Yeah, I don't like letters, like, (laughs) get out of here. Yeah, wow, that is insanely impressive. Very well done. Thank you. And so now, so you said you started a publishing company too. So now you have a publishing company as well. Where does it, I
1: I don't know. That's a great (laughs) question. Yeah. The publishing company and they're all a derivative of Junuri. They're all tied in some way. Junuri, our mission is to empower people to achieve the highest standard of their purpose. So with the publishing company, it's sharing your voice, your vision and your lens, and that's part of people walking in their purpose. And then you have Nuri lens and our slogan for Nuri lens is to see through the lens of your purpose. So you have a pair of frames that allows you to focus on your goals, focus on your vision and keep moving toward it. Where does it end? That is a great question. I know, and and I I do have other projects and so on and so forth
0: i would imagine you do
1: interestingly enough my father i remember going to my dad and telling my dad i always call my parents and i put them on a conference call and i'm an only child so who else do they have i call them i put them i'm like okay we have a family meeting i need to talk and i was like i have this crazy idea i saw a picture on instagram and i want to make i want to do this let's do this and my mom's like Juliet, i'm getting off this phone like you you (laughs) have. and my father stayed on the phone and my father said i'm gonna say something i don't want you to cut me off and he said Juliet. You are crazy. and And I'm like, why would you say and hes like, don't defend yourself? You're crazy. But I promise you, one of these crazy ideas of yours is going to take off because you can't keep coming up with all these ideas and one of them doesn't take off. So it's nice to know that my parents have my back. But I will say that I'm currently in a space where, I'm really trying to be more intentional about my time and my energy. My friends all say that I'm a workaholic and I love to work. And I've always been like that. I've always loved to work really hard. I was always juggling several projects at the same time, one way or another. So I'm in the space where I'm trying to be very choosy about what I'm going to let go of, what I'm going to reframe so that it, it works. But yeah, balance is becoming an increasingly uh, big theme in my life right now. Things might stay, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna stop, but maybe not add anything else. I can't make promises I won't keep. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I'm totally the same way. Like I, I started my originally just a marketing agency, which now I kind of address it as like a business solutions firm and, and media company. So I started this podcast mostly as like a lead generation tool, and then mm-hmm. it just metastasized into like craziness. I mean, this is tomorrow I'll be doing my 50th episode, and hey. I just started like a month ago. <laughs> so it's just. And you're you telling know. me
1: about writing a book in three to four? Weeks. <laughs> and 50 oh episodes yeah. In a month? Okay. Oh yeah.
0: I've got. Yeah. I mean, I did this is my fourth episode of tape today my max is uh wow. the, the most i've ever done is five it would have been six but someone canceled one of the days but yeah i have friends that are just like i can't keep up with this level of content creation <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, oh. so yeah it's been really fun but when i started off i was like okay, I got to keep the top of the funnel full. So I'm going to ask 25 people to be on the show. And hopefully five of them will say yes. And I don't know, it's not like a lot of other endeavors where you get like a really low response rate and 20 of the people like 80 90% of the people have said yes. And then I'm just like, Oh, shit. And like now I just booked like my, (laughs) I don't know, 60th person and I've got 100 people committed and and just a few unbooked and it's not just Yeah, it just took on a life of its own. And then I'm like, Yeah, okay, I need to like independently monetize this, but now I actually need to go back and focus on my lead generation in my business and, and right, get all that right, stuff right. going. Because yeah, this is just uh taken itself in a different and really fun direction that I love. It's something I look forward to every day, I get to talk to people from all over the world, all different industries, doing all kinds of different cool stuff and just seeing how people do things differently. And I love that. So- right. Yeah, it's a really fun endeavor, but then I've got, I do fractional CMO work, I do marketing, I do nice, coaching. Nice. So it's all, it's all that balancing act. And right. I think there's a lot of people that like, they need to only do one thing. And then there's a lot of people like us that it's you have to be doing multiple things to keep Mm -hmm. the creativity, keep the stimulation going, keep yourself interested. And just it's just a spinning plates or whatever, just make sure you just got to go focus on the one that like needs some attention. And then Mm -hmm. I keep things going. And I think there's a lot of like advice out there that is just Oh, just only do one thing, just focus down just do this or that. And then I took this thing called a Colby assessment, K O L B E. I'd never okay. heard of it before, but I was going through a, a program and they offered it to us. And and it essentially, uh, it gauges what they call your cognitive abilities. So it's spelled like co-native abilities. Uh-huh. And it's essentially like how you do things, right? So it's uh-huh. not like about, it's not about IQ. It's not about EQ. It's just like, how do you do things? And yeah. it was all essentially, hey, don't stay doing one thing, you need to be doing multiple things. And it was just like reinforcing like all the parts of my personality that usually most people are like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, but it feels right. And so it was the first time it was just like, hey, you this is actually the way you should be doing things. And as long as you can keep attention and not overload yourself and um, make sure you have a focus on what's what needs the most attention at any given time, then like you can do more than the average human can ever dream possible. And I, was- I think
1: it's important for people to be okay with who they are. Who they're good at. Because I think the the challenge, even on the flip side, is you have people who know good and what they're not, I don't want to say capable, but um juggling multiple things at once may it may not fit for them. And that's okay. That doesn't make them less than, right? But there are some of us who can do that. And for a lot of us, it's fulfilling. The important thing is finding that balance, right? Making sure you can keep your head um, screwed on tightly while you're juggling all these projects. And every day is not always a walk in the park at all. But I think the challenge is you have people who say, stick to the one thing, stick to the one thing, or when does it stop? Instead of asking questions of just make sure you're, oh, how are you finding balance? Or how are you working toward that? And so on and so forth.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think, I think so much of getting good advice is being able to just take the advice that resonates with you, right? right Because otherwise you end up with, you take advice from a hundred different people. They've done it a hundred different ways and, Mm -hmm. you know, if they've been successful, they did it in ways that work for them, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for you. If you hear something that you're like, oh, I could definitely do that. And it sounds Mm -hmm. exciting or it sounds, Uh, like it would be simple for me to put into effect it might take hard work might not be easy but it's fundamentally simple to capture the the framework of it and what needs to be done and and then it's like the sky's the limit for you but if you're kind of just like you're trying to copy and paste something someone else has done it's you're a unique individual nobody's done things like you i don't I probably should start wearing glasses, but I don't wear them yet. <laughs> yeah. well, I'm not about to start a glasses company. And it's just, hey, I think one thing for me, too, is people always wonder, oh, what should I do and what can I like make happen? And to me, something that's always been really powerful is what have you already done? Like right. actually just go and reflect on like your history right. and just make a list of the different things you like, the different jobs you've had, the different things mm-hmm. that you've done, the different successes you've had. And then try and connect some dots and be like, right. oh, you did the, these three totally like disparate things. But like, what if you combine them and then you put mm-hmm. it into a totally new thing or you get a lot of the most creative stuff happening um, that really can change the world?
1: And I think it's important for people to be OK with their process, trusting in their process and, and how life takes them. Because you might have that one person who maybe, for example, a business endeavor, their business endeavor takes off. They make hundreds and thousands of dollars versus the other person that kind of has to take baby steps on their way up. And to add to what you said, we look at how people's journeys are going, but we don't understand. We see the end. We don't really know what the journey's like for them. There we go. And so I think it's important for us to just trust in our own process and know that if I'm taking these three things that I'm good at and I'm moving forward with them, it's not going to look exactly like somebody else's journey.
0: Oh, totally. And it's also just, you don't even know where they are, like how far right. along they are necessarily. And, and even age isn't necessarily a good indicator, but it's right, like right. the old saying of don't judge your chapter three by someone else's chapter 20. Right. So have no idea, but there is now. I think too, with like social media and stuff, and and a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of different like e-commerce and marketing things, and different startup businesses. There's the startups with billion-dollar valuations, and they just right. pop up out of nowhere, mm-hmm. seemingly nowhere. But it's no, that's people have been grinding on that company for five years, and it's you don't see all that hard work and the sleepless nights and whatever other effort went into it. You mm-hmm. just see them at the New York Stock Exchange ringing the bell or something like that, and it's yep. you got to take a step back and realize like it's a journey, like even making a podcast, right? It's you can make hundreds of episodes and just be like middling around with a limited number of, of listeners. But then suddenly, it just starts to pick up traction. And you just accumulate listeners who maybe they only listen to one of your episodes because their friend was on the show or something like that but then if they like you as the host or they like the questions they like the dynamic maybe they tune into another and then that just starts to snowball and so then you start to get that hockey stick of okay you podcast for a year and it's if you're half decent at it like it's hard not to grow an audience if you're Mm -hmm. really engaging and and people like what you have to offer but it's really hard for people when it's oh joe rogan just got x million dollars from spotify and so that's literally the most famous podcast in the world you can't like measure yourself against that not to mention like he was already famous and but people just jump to those things. And it's like, then they do most, I think what like 25% of podcasts or something have a single episode and something like 30 to 40% is just two episodes. Mm-hmm. So like just getting into the top 1% of episodes produced, It's just really sticking with it through 50 to a hundred episodes. And then you're in rare company and then you just build from there. But so many people just get discouraged by the lack of feedback or the lack of growth. And yeah, and it's just, it can be demoralizing because you think that's, the feedback of, oh, you suck, but it's no, literally nobody knows you exist. And that's a different thing. But I think and it in, doesn't
1: mean that you don't have value.
0: Absolutely. But I think that's so hard for people to understand. because mm-hmm. And I think social media has really exacerbated that just conceptually, because you see all the most famous people have millions of followers, millions of likes right. and all of that. And you're like, oh, I want that. And so, okay, well, they did something outside of social media before the last like five years when that's been its own thing, or just like people blowing up on TikTok, just all by themselves. Okay. But previous to that, it was like the only big people on social media by and large were already celebrities for some other reason. And so now we're getting into an age of native social media celebrities where you can just build it from the ground up. And it's really nice to have a platform like TikTok that is so democratizing that you just be authentic, be yourself and put yourself out there and things will come to you. Sleep. It's like a magnet. And then that's like a better place to tell, okay, are you putting people to sleep? Because you can at least garner like, all right, this isn't really resonating with anyone. Maybe I need to change it up. But if you're like in a podcast situation, it's just like, okay, you're going to get five listeners and they're all going to know you for months and months. And then it's eventually, you can have something that unlocks that door for you. So
1: it's no, really I completely I agree. It, and it, it sucks when you're working so hard and you see someone that takes off to your perception as so quickly. But then again, we also don't understand the, as you said, the time that goes in and also the pressure Mm -hmm. that they're under. For you, you start your podcast, you may not be as popular as, for example, one of the Obamas where, you know, hey, they want to dibble and dabble in the podcast world and they get all these listeners. But that's where you have more space to make more mistakes Mm -hmm. versus someone who's more well-known their podcast is streamed everywhere and so many people are tuning in, they don't have as much room for error.
0: Yeah, it's got to be perfect out of the gate. Yeah.
1: So it's always important to really trust your journey and be okay with being yourself.
0: Oh, absolutely. And so tell me a little bit more about what was it like to become a published author? What did how did you approach the book launch? and, And what amount of satisfaction did you derive once you actually had that physical copy in your hand?
1: Yeah, I will tell you, and I've been, I think I've been saying this for over a year. I really, it hasn't fully synced in that I'm a published author. I published the book and then I went to work. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Um, And interestingly enough, unfortunately, I was planning a, a book signing. It was after the book launched, but I was planning a book signing in 2020 and I was working on partnering with um, local high schools and parents. And it was going to be a very big event. So it was going to be a workshop and a book signing in one. And then COVID happened. I never got a book signing. I never really had really much of a chance to have more of a just a celebration of me becoming a publisher. Nevertheless, I will say it feels nice to know that People are getting something out of the book. My, for me, if only one person picked up my book, but there was something that helped them along their journey, that's all that, that does it for me. And interestingly, you, there were adults and adults who never gone to college or some who were in their grad school experience and so on and so forth. And they reached out and they're like, I've gotten messages from the book for my personal life, for myself, just as a human being. And those are heartwarming. I think one of the proudest moments for me, it's two proudest moments. One was having my father read it. I gave my parents a signed copy and my father read it. And my father called me on the hour, every hour to give me an update on what he read and his feedback and to hear my father and another educator to read the book cover to cover and speak to how proud he was. That was a very proud moment for me. And second was, I don't remember who it was, but someone who made a comment on the black girl with red hair on the cover of my, and I had gotten some feedback about why don't you have just more of a more generic picture, a more generic image, but I'm a person with now hot pink hair and people say it. My hair will show up to places before I do. (laughs) <laughs> you can't miss the hair. And so it was nice to have someone to say, I looked at the cover and oh my goodness, that's so you. But it brought a lot of meaning because especially for little black boys and little black girls where sometimes there might not be as much representation. It, it was very heartwarming to know that someone might just pick up the book and see someone that looks just like them with all their personality, staying true to themselves, trying to be their authentic self on the book of a cover. And that's what allows them to step in the, into the book and really get these heartwarming messages. So while I really haven't had the time to celebrate being an author, I think just these small little moments of getting feedback from people and just picking up on some of the things they learn, those are very heartwarming for me. And, and those are some really proud moments for me. It's
0: beautiful. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure?
1: People have favorite failures. (laughs) Right. I don't like to look at failures as failures and people have, I find that people have different approaches to failure, at least of how they view failure. And I don't think there is one right or one wrong approach to look at failure. All to say, one of my favorite failures, I will, and I don't wanna call it a failure, I'll go back to when I was in high school, I was a straight A student for the most, from elementary school to high school. They put me in honors classes. I always had the more advanced work, the more complex work and so on and so forth. So I always thought of myself as a a smart kid. And then I started taking college classes in high school. And that's when my grades started to tank. And I remember just how badly I wanted to walk away from it all. And I was in a program. They call it the International Baccalaureate Program. Mm-hmm. And you could either do the do certificates where you take a couple of college courses in high school and then you get the college credit. Or you do the whole program where you're taking a, it's structured. So they have a number of courses you need to take. You do a there's an exam and there's an essay and there's a project. There's all this stuff that you do. And so my mother had me in the program. And when I saw that I was failing classes and my mother had me in every activity that was an activity. So I was in the school choir. I was also a choir director at my church, um, a children's choir director. So it was just like a lot going on. And I believe that I was even had my first job at Marshall. So it, it was a lot. And I tried to back out. I was like, I can't do this because I had trouble accepting the fact that I was getting grades that were not in the 90s. And it took me some time, but I, I came to, I think that was the thing that really helped shape my viewpoint on the fact that failure is not the fact that you didn't do as good or you didn't do as much as you wish you did. Failure is when you give up. Completely, And so that was, I think that was one of the, the, the seeds that were planted, that moment in which I was able to look at everything going beyond that, whether it was a grade I didn't get well or a level of performance I didn't achieve, contrary to what I was hoping to achieve, and really looking at it and saying, okay, here's what I did well. And here's what I can do to do better going. And so I'm able to look at my failures a little differently. I also, in my adult life, especially with Nuri Lens, it's a lot of work being an entrepreneur. You lose a lot of sleep and people see everything that they see things just at the tip, at the surface level, but they really Mm -hmm. don't understand all of the work that goes in to have, to get it done. And I did mention earlier, I'm really Right now, my biggest theme is finding balance. And one of the things that I've come to terms with in my adult life is that walking away from something also does not count as failure. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to be brave enough to choose yourself and say, you know what, it's not worth sacrificing my sanity. And that's okay. People might see it as a failure because I know with New Orleans, there have been, times where I wish we met a goal and we didn't meet a goal and so on and so forth. But in my head, I've had moments when I wanted to walk away from it, but I had to get over the thought that if I chose to walk away from that or anything else, I'm not saying I'm going to walk away, but if I chose to walk away from an opportunity of whatever sort, it's not because I was a coward. It's not even because I'm a failure it's because I was brave enough to choose myself to choose my my and to choose my well-being some people even being a PhD I've heard students PhD students I've had you know other former phds say I had to choose myself it wasn't worth it and that doesn't mean that they failed it doesn't mean that they weren't smart enough or brave enough or even strong enough it just meant that they found that it wasn't for them and that's okay so All to say that's my perspective on failure and some of the things that I've learned.
0: I love that. So you mentioned dissertation. What are you working on right now?
1: My dissertation. So the topic for my dissertation is psychological ownership and the experiences of volunteer workers in faith-based nonprofit organizations with psychological ownership. So it's basically the feeling that you own something. And so in the, the for-profit space, even in when you're talking like marketing and, and brand development, they say that even if, if you make your customers, if you if your customers perceive or feel that they have some ownership over the company or they have some stake, and I'm not even talking like money, stock, but psychologically, when they feel that they are they own the company or it's theirs, they're more than likely to spend their money. And they're more than likely to come back and give you more business. So in, in an organizational setting, the same thing stands where when employees feel that they own their teams, their organizations, they're able to exert a little bit more responsibility and accountability in their roles. So I'm taking that theory and seeing how it applies in a nonprofit workspace.
0: Oh, very cool. And is that for a PhD?
1: For a PhD. Yes.
0: Wow. What kind of PhD is that for?
1: Industrial and organizational psychology. So applying psychology to the workplace. And I've got to say it, I commend those who made it (laughs) because it's quite a journey. It's quite a journey. I see being in, in, undergrad and grad school, you have those professors who will not allow you to call them anything outside of doctor. And you don't understand it. I've, I've never judged them out of respect. You identify and you call people by what they like to be called, but being in this program, it makes sense as to why they emphasize it because it, it is, some people spend five, six, seven years doing their dissertations alone. The mental strain that goes into that. I know. I told my mentor that I'm not racking up student loans for more than a year. So we're gonna figure this out together. But, but <laughs> you're not. He's. Oh, you might spend three years. And I said, No, sir. We are not gonna spend three years. We're gonna make it, and we're gonna make this work in a year. So tell me what I have to do, and we're gonna do it. So,
0: damn, more power to you. Thank, love you. It. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So, Juliet. What is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And feel free to take the word investments as broadly as you like.
1: Investing a year of my time and my life halfway across the world in South Korea. That was mm. one of the most investments of my energy ever. I think I was, I was 21 when I moved to South Korea. But really investing my time and my energy into trying something new that is where I was really able to it was like the redefinition of Juliet. So that's where I was able to find myself and I was able it was my first time living outside of my parents house I was really able to hone in on my values some of the things I believed in and of course people evolve and people change but I think that's where it really started for me and I will say that was one of the best decisions I've ever made contrary to a lot of people saying you're only parent's child and I come from a Caribbean culture usually daughters we spend we sit in our parents home until we get married yeah. and here I am going halfway across the world I mean if you're looking at Haiti and South Korea that's two different two different planets but I will say that was the most that was the best and the wisest investment of my time and of my energy
0: oh that sounds like so much fun
1: It was. It absolutely was.
0: So what are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life?
1: One to three books. One of them, oh my goodness, one of them it's called Leadership and Self-Deception. I keep forgetting the title, but that's my absolute favorite book. My second is The Languages. No. My second, it's not The Languages. It's When Sorry is Not Enough. And it speaks on the different languages of appreciation. So it's from the the scholar who wrote, came up with the the concept of the five love languages. Mm. And he actually wrote a book on the fact that sorry doesn't mean it's, sorry can't be communicated the same to everyone. And so it's put a lot of perspective on just apology, on accountability and forgiveness for me. So that's the second. And the third, am I not allowed to use my book?
0: (laughs) Go for it. Uh, All day.
1: I, I, I'll say that it's my book. I know it has. I know it. It it has gems that I would have given to my younger self for the first time since I published it. Actually, I started rereading my book like last month, and I was quite surprised at what I learned from myself. So, not to mm-hmm. toot my own horn, but
0: oh, uh, toot away. <laughs> here for So, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and
1: why? Love yourself and love others. I just, we live in such a, uh, we, we, life is so short and I think us getting in the hustle and bustle of life and with COVID and so on and so forth, I'm pretty sure it's slowed a lot of us down and had us looking at our lives and reevaluating how we live our lives and so on and so forth. But I think for myself, I, I try to wake up to be very intentional with my energy, with my time and also how I treat others. Hmm. Um, and how I treat myself. And that's just one theme and something I share with everyone. It's something I sh- I'm not perfect, but I strive to do it every day. But yeah, I would say love yourself and love others.
0: Beautiful. So what advice would you give to a smart, driven high school or college graduate about to enter the real world? And is there any advice they should ignore?
1: Advice, advice I would give them is in all things... Strive to be your authentic self. It's okay for you to be your truest, authentic best. Advice they should ignore. I would tell them to ignore those that prevent them from being their best authentic. Ignore the feedback that all feedback is not constructive. And it's your authentic self and then there's your best self. So that that includes accountability, that includes self reflection. But then you might have people who place labels on you, because they may not feel confident in being their authentic selves the way you do. So yeah, that's the advice I would I would Tell them to ignore. And I think that helps apply to their decisions for college, for school. Some kids, they have great dreams. And as adults, I find that we, because it didn't work for us, we assume it's not going to work for them. Instead of seeing how we can work with them, help them to navigate those dreams and find the best approach to, to chasing them. So that's what I would tell a high schooler.
0: Excellent. I love that. So in the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to?
1: Because I always like to say yes. What have I become better at saying no to? Ooh. What have I become better at saying no to? I've become better at saying no to really people who advise me to do things contrary to what I truly believed in. I am what people call a stubborn person. And it was in my adult life that I found that I'm not even stubborn. It's more that I like to take responsibility and accountability for decisions that I make. So as I've gotten older, I've been able to maintain a position where I'm willing to understand people's perspective. But also not afraid to tell them, nope, that's not me. You can, I'm not saying you're wrong, but it's not me. So it's a no for me. And that goes into certain engagements, certain projects, certain endeavors. Just if it doesn't fit Juliet, Juliet's not a part of it. Hmm. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. So how have you found mentors and advisors throughout your career?
1: Oh, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I have... When it comes to mentorship, when it comes to advisement, counseling, therapy, all of that, I love it. And I have mentors, coaches, I have them in many different aspects in my life. And I found them to be amazing. The ones that I have, again, these are people who really encourage me to be my best self and my authentic self. And knowing that I work a lot and knowing that I love to do a lot they've really been able to hold me accountable in love with respect, with compassion, with grace. And that's something I really appreciate. But yeah, mentors and coaches, they're my favorite human beings, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody needs them.
0: Absolutely. So what are some of your go-to self-care strategies, tactics or techniques?
1: My, my number one is prayer and meditation. That kind of just, it's my way of practicing mindfulness, keeping me grounded and present. The second is watching Korean dramas. Let me tell you, I love me some Korean dramas. I've been in the game for a few years and people don't <laughs> understand how I find the time to watch them. But I find the time, I, I say that's my therapy. But yeah, I love Korean dramas. But even outside of that, setting goals and writing steps to to work toward those. I'm very big on celebrating little wins. I think sometimes we have these large goals and they always seem that they're unattainable because we were focused on the end, but we don't focus as much on the means to the end. For example, working on my PhD, I I have a project management account on Trello. And what I did is I mapped out my entire PhD journey in advance all three to four years wow and so i have and it's one board and it's a list for each quarter and in each quarter there are checklists for every week so for every week each separate week is a checklist and it has all of the assignments and everything that i have to do for that week and i can't make this up it feels like i started school yesterday because the time has just flown by And every time I check something off the list, it shows like you've accomplished, I don't know, 23 out of 50 tasks. And when I've completed the quarter to see that green label come up, for me, that's enough to celebrate. And it's made me feel so much closer to the end goal. And that's really what I try to apply throughout my life. Because when you can't celebrate the small wins, it makes it difficult for you to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So that's really one, that's one big thing that I do to keep myself grounded and to also help myself find balance. I have different ways of doing it depending on the week, the day, the week, the month, time of year. But yeah, that's, those are the top three things that I do.
0: Wow. Inspiring. Oh, you're very welcome. So Julia, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. And that does bring me to my last question of the day. And that is, what is the kindest thing? anyone has ever done for you
1: the kindest thing a lot of people do things for me i will say one of the kindest things my high school principal i when i was in high school i went to a predominantly caucasian school and i tend i was often the butt of i was often the the target of a lot of bias and unfair treatment and bullying by my classmates. I was always the the one black kid in the class. In one of my class, I felt like I was being bullied and one incident happened and I approached my teacher about it. And I told my teacher that it made me uncomfortable. I wasn't happy about it. And he took it lightly. He said, oh, the kids were joking. They were choking, don't take it seriously. And I said, I don't like it. I don't want it to happen again. And it happened again. And so I remember marching to my principal's office, telling my principal, I've never been in a fight before, but if this happens again, someone's leaving this high school in a stretcher, Um, (laughs) it's not going to be me. And I I told him, I don't like to cause trouble, so I don't want trouble. Not to say I was a horrible student, y'all. I kid you not, it never happened again. It never happened again. And when I think of kids being bullied in school, some of whom commit suicide or hurt themselves or something like that I'm it always hits so close to home because I'm touched because there was an adult who took me seriously even when another adult was not taking me seriously so the fact that my principal was able to address it with my teacher and for me to never ever deal with that again that was probably one of the m- the most kindest things that someone has ever done for me and i literally will remember it for the rest of my life so powerful yeah
0: thank you again juliet for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak absolutely with
1: you. thank you for having me
0: well, of course anytime today's episode was brought to you by prosperitas making unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at the LUE Podcast, or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. If you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash the podcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness.